Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. I'm glad that you have joined in online. Thank you so much for staying connected uh, during this unusual time where we have to be isolated. And today, um, at home or wherever you are, please don't do this if you're driving, but if you're at home or if you're watching in a stationary location, you can uh, turn in your Bibles or you can go to YouVersion or whatever your favorite app is, Bible app is, and you can go to the book of Amos, uh, which is really kind of uh, towards the second half of the Old Testament. It's a small book, uh, and uh, we'll be in Amos chapter 5 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Amos chapter 5. We'll be in verses in a few minutes here. We'll be in verses 18 through 25. Today, uh, we are really, last week was a little bit of a prelude to the series that we're in today. I guess you can call it week two of our series called I Choose Love. And we are really taking this series uh, to take a look at what God's Word has to say about the issues that our world is facing of racism and prejudice and bigotry and what the Bible has to say about those things, but also what the Bible has to say about how we, as Christ followers, should love, especially during this time. We're taking a look at what the Bible says about that and what the Bible says about racial reconciliation and how we as a church cannot only be a part of the solution, but we can also be leaders in the solution. And I believe that God is calling us during these days to be a part of the solution and lead in the solution. And so we're taking this journey over the course of several weeks here in the middle of the summer. And my, my prayer and my hope is, is that you and I would be open to God leading and changing and directing us and changing our hearts in this area. Because I think what we might find is, is that there are many more blind spots than we want to admit and that we maybe even realize. And today I just want to begin just with the short version of what I shared last week at the beginning, and that is a, a, bit, of a, a bit of a caveat uh, to this message, because I want to admit uh, to you that this message is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me to teach, and this series is uncomfortable for me to teach, largely because uh, I haven't been the uh, focus of any kind of racism in my life. So it's uncomfortable because of my lack of experience, maybe uh, un, uh, uh, indirect guilt that I might have because it has largely been um, those who have my skin color, white, uh, that have been the ones that have uh, promoted racism through the years. And then also possible errors or missteps that I might make. And so that leads it to be uncomfortable. And I also realize that it may be uncomfortable for you. It probably is going to be uncomfortable for you. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay that it's uncomfortable for me. I'm okay that it's uncomfortable for you because as your pastor, my job is to lead us into God's word and to rightly divide the word of truth, not to bring you comfort. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. And so during this series, I recognize that a lot of what we're going to be talking about is going to challenge you and it's going to make you uncomfortable. I also realize that you may not agree with me on everything and you probably don't each and every week, and that's okay. And then lastly, um, I want you to know that I will not get political. Those are some things that I want you to expect through this series, that we will stay in God's Word and we'll focus on what God's Word has to say. But I do believe that throughout this series that it's your job and my job to ask God to lead us and to guide us and to change us and to give us the courage to lead where he wants us to lead. And so, if you would, would you pray with me right now as we dive in to today's message. Father God, 
I pray that you would lead us and that you would guide us. And Father, in the strong name of Jesus, I ask for your Holy Spirit to be in this place. Father, I ask for your Holy Spirit to lead and to guide those who are listening and watching online. Maybe live, maybe they're watching a few hours later or a few days later or weeks later. And Father God, I pray that your word would not go out void. I pray that you would um, lead us to a place of repentance specifically today and that you would lead your church to begin the process of reconciliation, which I believe begins with confession and repentance. And Father, today as we walk through a a very unusual, maybe unusual passage or a passage that also uh, may be a little bit up in our face. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us and that you would lead us right now and that we would be attuned to how you want to change our hearts and our attitudes and our minds and our actions. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's something that has happened in our culture over the past few decades that has changed this whole subject of racism. And I know last week we, we discussed how our country was founded by men who really dialed into the word of God to, to set the founding of our nation. And the founding fathers and the founding documents, I believe, reflect that. The problem is, is there was a lot, not all, but there was a lot of hypocrisy because, as we talked about last week, our country is founded on one of the ideals, the first of the ideals, that all men are created equal. And while God creates us and while God designs us, with unique differences that we as God's people should celebrate, he also views us as equal individuals, that one person is not more important than the other, that one race is not better than the other, that one group of people, wherever they might live or whatever ever cultural or ethnic background that they come from, is not better than the other. The problem with our society is, is that we have some prejudice built in to our system because of sin. And in our culture over the last 10 or 20 or 30 years, um, I think that we've seen that play out because of cameras. And I think what's happened is, is over the course of time, it took about 100 years from the founding of our country to, uh, to you know, settle the issue of slavery itself. It was about 80 some odd years that it took for us to figure that out. And it took a war and it took hundreds of thousands of people dying for us to figure that out. But even then it took almost another 100 years for us to figure out uh, some of the issues uh, of racism and uh, some of the issues of prejudice and discrimination before we figure that out. But I think what's happened over the past 30 or 40 years is because of cameras and because of these devices, we are seeing how deep the root of racism and prejudice go in America. And we see it often at the hands of powerful people who abuse their authority and oppress people who may be in a weaker position. We saw it with Rodney King back in the 90s. That's the first time that I can remember watching an officer uh, violently go after someone of a different color. And then, of course, most recently we've seen that in the George Floyd uh, killing, the massacre that occurred up in Minneapolis. And so we see, because of cameras played out, we see played out this 
this horrible racism that exists in our world. And while we can leave the debate for others, whether it's systemic or it's localized, it still exists. And I wonder if it still exists, actually I'm sure that it still exists, in many of our hearts and our minds and our attitudes. And God used a, a simple man, a farmer by the name of Amos to uh, direct his people to repent from this same type of sin and others. And I wanna give you a little bit of a background on Amos and the book of Amos just to kind of set the stage because I think that you're gonna see so many parallels between what was going on in Israel, the Northern Kingdom and what was, what's going on today in our time. The Jewish people, God's people had been divided and there had been kings of the Northern Kingdom of Israel and the Southern Kingdom of Judah and we were under the reign of Jeroboam. And, and, and at this point in time, this book, this letter, this um, prophecy is delivered to the Northern Kingdom. It's the nation of Israel. It's that part of the Jewish people who split after the first three kings of, of Israel, and it split into two parts, Judah and Israel. And so it was written during the time of the divided kingdom to the nation of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II. It was also written and the message was delivered during a period of time of prosperity and peace in the land. This was a time for those who had wealth to increase their wealth. It was a time when peace became more peaceful and it was a time when God's people, to be honest with you, had it pretty, pretty good. And they had become complacent in their life they had become complacent in their faith. They had become complacent in the way that they interacted with each other. And so what was beginning to happen is, is those who had great wealth were using their power and their powerful position and their wealth. And we're going to be talking on a different week specifically about the abuse of a power as related to racism, racial reconciliation. But today we see a little bit of this in the nation of Israel. They were oppressing those who were poor and often sold those who were poor into slavery. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? A period of time in America that we don't want to focus on but that we have to face is our reality. And the vision and the message that God gave to this simple farmer by the name of Amos was one of judgment on God's people if they didn't change their ways. And in no uncertain terms, God says, seek me and change and you will be saved from what I have for you. And it, so he spends the first chapter kind of laying out the um, violations and the things that he's angry about with other nations and other groups of people. And he comes to chapter two through four and he lays out the issues that God has, Amos does, with Israel specifically, that their general complacency and their oppressing the poor and their superficial religion and their hypocrisy were the reasons that God was angry. But then we come to chapter five and God tells them that if they seek him, they will li live, but he saves most, his most kind of direct message for verses 19, or uh, excuse me, 18 uh, through about 24 and 25. And so let's read those this morning. Now this is a bit of uh, the tone of a funeral message which is really interesting that Amos writes in the tone of a funeral dirge or a funeral message. 
And Israel would have understood that by the way it was written. And he says this in verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. I'm going to come back to that phrase, the day of the Lord, in just a moment. He says, why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into his house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? And then look at what he says in verse 21. And church, I want you to pay attention. This is so incredibly important that we get this in verse 21 through 24. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. And God says, I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. And in verse 23, he says, take away from me the noise of your songs. He says it's the noise of their songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. And then he says this in verse 24, a very, very famous verse that's been quoted in many different speeches throughout the years, including a, uh, kind of uh, his addended version or changed version of this, Martin Luther King Jr. He says, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now, I want to remind you that the issue that Israel is dealing with here is an issue of prejudice. It's an issue of injustice. People were being oppressed, particularly poor people, other nations, people of other ethnic backgrounds and cultural backgrounds, but particularly the poor. Those who were in a different class were being taken advantage of and oppressed. There was a systemic, a, a problem with the system of, of justice in Israel. The court system was not at all fair. And people were being oppressed. And, and, and I don't know if you capture the tone, but God's irritation, God's anger on Israel has to do with that compared to the way they were coming in and worshiping like nothing was wrong. He was irritated with their oppression. He was irritated and disgusted with their corruption. And he was irritated with the system that was unjust. And he uses Amos to speak his words and to give his vision to the nation of Israel, that they needed to seek him and that they needed to change. The book itself is kind of interesting, and I, I would imagine, I kind of wonder, what it would have been like for somebody in the northern kingdom of Israel, these tribes that had collected together. I wonder what it would have been like when this prophecy is read to them. Because the first few chapters, God lays out the problems that he has and the anger that he has with their neighbors, with the other countries. He, he lays out why he's irritated with Damascus and Gaza and Tyre and Edom and the Ammonites and the Moabites 
and, and he describes in, in a few chapters, and I would imagine as he, someone was reading this message, it was delivered by the simple farmer, God's word to the nation of Israel. I, I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine they were probably smugly thinking, you know, yeah, that's right. They've got it coming to them. Those nations have it coming to them. God is going to judge them because of their sin. And then all of a sudden we come to this point in time in, in chapter 2 where he turns it and he talks about Judah. And there were probably a few, I would imagine, in, the nation, in, the, in Israel, the nation of Israel, that probably went, uh-oh, <laughs> now God's talking about our people. We're two different people right now, two different kingdoms right now, but we're of the same people. And there were probably some of them that were like, yeah, get them, Judah. They've been wrong, not us. And then all of a sudden, God turns his attention to them. And he spends the next three chapters laying out what they've done that is so angered. All of a sudden, I would imagine the people that are listening to this are thinking to themselves, oh my goodness, we have gotten this wrong. Because he spent such a little time talking about them. And now he's talking about us. And you see, church, I think that's the first area that we have a blind spot is, is when God begins to speak to us, when he brings someone into our life to point something out in us, or when he, in the, the quietness of, of time of prayer, when we're seeking him out, tells us that we've done wrong, we so often go to them and not us. We point the fingers to you and not to me. And in doing so, I think we're identifying one of the blind spots that we have is that we may kind of think through our ignorance that this idea of racism and prejudice and bigotry is for them and not for us. And church, I want you to know that this message from Amos was for them in that time. And it was for their neighbors, but it was for God's people. And it's still true today. It's still true today. Now, they were seeking the day of the Lord, which is such an interesting thing. Because when we think of the day of the Lord, we think about the future of the day of the Lord. The second coming, as um, Stephanie mentioned in her prayer, that we know that he's coming one day. And we look forward to that day. And so we should. And Current events make me think that that day may be sooner off than we think, and that's a whole message series for another time. But I got to tell you, the day of the Lord is something that um, we should be looking forward to, but it's not going to be without pain. And it's not going to be without some miserable times. Even in their past, when they heard the words of the phrase day of the Lord, there were things that they thought of. They thought of the day of the Lord where God uh, saved them from the hands of the Egyptians. They thought of uh, what we mentioned just a few weeks ago as they crossed the Jordan River. The day of the Lord would have brought about thoughts of salvation and deliverance and rescue. And we see there right at the beginning in that first verse that we took a look at today, he says, Amos says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It's darkness and not light. 
And church, we need to realize that the day of the Lord is about salvation and it is about deliverance and it is about rescue. But before we pursue and, and strive for and think about the future of, of Jesus' coming, we need to be prepared. That's what the Bible says that we should do in response to that. And part of the preparation is going through the process of a heart and a mind and an attitude change. See, the real issues that made God mad was oppression and corruption and hypocrisy. One of my favorite preachers is a man by the name of David Platt, and David summarizes God's indictment on his people this way. He says that they were denying present sin while desiring future salvation. We do that too, don't we? We do that too. We deny present sin, yet we desire future salvation. We desire future rescue. We desire future deliverance. And we don't allow God's Holy Spirit to do a work in us. We just want him to do a work for us. David Platt goes on to say that the second indictment is indulging in worship while ignoring injustice. Man, it's so true. We engage in worship and we ignore injustice. And in fact, we don't just engage in worship, but we indulge ourselves in worship. I want it this way. I want it my way. I want to worship God in this format. I like these songs. I like this type of praise. And in the depth and the darkness of our heart, we've got the sin of injustice. It is so hypocritical that God says, I hate the offering you're giving me. And then the last indictment is, is that they were running their mouths about their religion while refusing to repent. It's an easy message, isn't it? <laughs> it's not at all an easy message. And I think that we have different forms of prejudice that we may see today. Israel was dealing with a a personal form of prejudice, a corporate form of prejudice, and then a system form of prejudice. But isn't that the way sin goes? That it begins with us, and then the ripple effect goes out to other people, and then it goes out and in kind of ingrains itself and gets itself tied in with our systems and culture. And that's what God was so disappointed with, is that they, they were worshiping him, but they were also oppressing the poor, and they had corruption going on in their system, and they were displaying hypocrisy in their worship while sin was in their heart. Different forms of prejudice. Some prejudice comes in the form of direct prejudice, bigotry, and racism. For those who have that kind of attitude in their heart, they know it. They understand it, and usually they're staunch in their sinful and rebellious view of things. It's pretty obvious in their lives. And while evil and obvious, this type of racism isn't the predominant type in our day and age. I think it might fall into the second couple of categories, and that is those who have indirect prejudice. They claim that they're not prejudiced. They're, they claim that they're not racist, but they might have some things that seep out. Occasionally, they don't even realize it's happening. It comes from a, maybe in the form of a snide comment or an occasional joining in a joke or, or not protesting a conversation that's biased in nature, that's racist in nature. And the last form of prejudice are those who are silent 
about the matter. Deep in their heart, they're against it, but they're silent. And I would imagine that the modern-day church probably falls into that category as much as any other category. I know that since the beginning of June, God has begun to do a work in my heart in this area, and I find myself falling into this category that I am against racism and I don't want to be prejudiced, but there have been times in my past, and I had to confess this and repent from it, that I have stood silent when a joke was told. I wonder if I could have those days back, if I could have those days back to gently help the one who was telling the joke or saying the word or suggesting the thing. If I could have that day back and those days back, I would. God got a hold of me over the course of the last six weeks in this area. And so prejudice comes in the form of, in many different forms, many different categories, but the thing that really irritated God was their hypocrisy. They were blind to this. In church, I don't want us to be blind to it. I don't want us to be blind to an ounce of prejudice that we may have in the darkness of our soul. See, our blindness to prejudice is most clearly demonstrated, demonstrated when, when we blissfully go about our religious business while prejudice and injustice run rampant around us and perhaps even has its seed and roots in us. That's how we can be blind to the prejudice we may have in our lives. And in Israel, as is happening in America and many other, from a place of protection, self-preservation, or fear, but it doesn't matter because prejudice and racism in any form is an abomination to God, and it's a sin. And we as God's people need to ask for him to open our eyes. How can we do that? How can we give sight to our blindness? First and foremost, I think it begins with us being honest. I think it begins with us being honest about our own prejudice and in, the, in our area, the areas of our lives. David um, writes a, 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 a psalm, and, and you may recognize it. It, it. it really gives recognition to the fact that God knows every place of our heart. He knows every part of us. He knows every little nook and cranny and corner of our soul. He says this, and so writes this in Psalm 139, 23, and 24. He says, search me, O God, search me, O God, and know my heart. He says, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. And church, if there's any comfort that we can take this morning, it's from this. It's from the fact, it's not really comfort, but it's from the fact that God knows our heart anyway. So why not be honest? Why not be truthful? The one who's in charge, the one who solved the sin problem, the one who ultimately gives us the hope, we'll talk about that in a few weeks, the one that gives us hope that injustice might be solved one day, that prejudice might be solved, that racism might be solved, that is the one who knows every bit of us. 
And so if he knows every bit of us, why not just confess it? Man, when I was in, um, I think I was in middle school, I came home from school with a D, and you didn't come home from school with a D in my house. And I went from the uh, bus, I walked down the driveway, and I did something I never normally did. I didn't go to the front door and come into the house through the front door. I went to the garbage can. And I threw that paper in the garbage can. And the story gets worse, but I'm not going to tell the whole story. But my mom picked up on the fact that I did something different that, that day, and there was a, probably a reason. And, man, my mom, oh, man, she, she was so intuitive. She knew it when we were in trouble. She knew it when we were lying. She knew it when we were trying to snow her. I mean, it, she picked up on it. She was the first one to pick up on it. She was usually the first one to call us out. She was also the first one to extend grace. And I remember her asking me about it. And I remember thinking, how did she know? How did she know? Like, where, does she have cameras? This is in the day before cameras. Like, we didn't have ring.com back then. Like, how, did, how in the world does she know? But she knew. She knew. God knows. Listen, church, Christ follower, God knows your heart. And while that can be the most comforting thing in the world, when it comes to these kind of deep sins in the darkness of our soul, in the darkness of our heart, in the darkness of our attitudes and our minds, he knows. struggle to admit what my mom already knew. That was the hardest part. So Christ follower, maybe it's time for you to admit what God already knows. Get honest with yourself. Get honest with those people who know you. He already knows. He's already searched you, and he already knows your heart. He already knows your thoughts, and he already knows your grievous ways, and you know what he did? He offered He offered salvation anyway. The first step in us having the scales removed from our eyes is to be honest. Eyes is to be honest about our prejudice in every area of our life. Part of this is that we should be willing for God to transform our minds when it comes to prejudice. We need to be willing with the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the word there that Paul uses in the original language, that word transformation, it comes from a Greek word that we get the process of metamorphosis from. See, when a caterpillar goes from a caterpillar to a butterfly, it doesn't happen overnight. It builds a chrysalis or a cocoon, and there's a process that happens and that caterpillar turns into a butterfly. And that's the word picture that the original readers there in Rome would have seen, they would have heard, and they would have understood that God wants us to go through a process whereby our minds are changed. It's interesting that in the process of that caterpillar becoming a butterfly, that the caterpillar, and I realize some of you are going to protest this, and I might get a few emails about this because it's morning and some of you are having your waffles, but he literally digests himself for a period of time, except for two cells that are the eyes. Literally digests himself. Listen, church, if we're going to solve the problem of, of racism, 
if we are going to enter into racial reconciliation, if we are going to turn, which I'll talk about just in a moment, from our sin in this area, the first thing that we've got to, or the second thing that we have to do, is we have to let God transform our minds. And that's a process that's ugly, and it's nasty, and it takes time. And it means we may have to destroy the thoughts that we previously had. Now, for some of you, this change has already taken place. For some of you, the, the metamorphosis, the transformation of the mind happened the moment that you accepted Christ as your Savior. But for some of you, for some of us, there are still little roots of this that still exist. And God is in the business, the way maker is in the business of transforming our minds, and he can transform your mind in this area. If he turned a whole culture upside down, the Jews and the Greeks hated each other, and the Samaritans, we're going to talk about that next week, they hated each other. And if he turned that upside down, he can change your mind. And the third way that we can have our eyes open from the blindness of prejudice in our life is to be quick to repent from the sin of prejudice. When God identifies it, when he points it out, we need to be quick to repent from the sin of prejudice. And I realize that word repent is not a word that's used in the modern day church very often. I use it very carefully in certain situations because in our modern day, we have twisted that word. And first and foremost, I wanna show you from the book of James, who was almost like the New Testament version of Amos in some ways. He points out that prejudice is a sin. James 2, 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing a sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Man, James doesn't mince words there, does he? He doesn't sugarcoat it. He just calls it out. That it is a sin. That prejudice is a sin. And how do we, how do we rid ourselves of that sin? We repent. Acts 3.19 says, repent, therefore, and turn back. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sin may be blotted out. Psalm 51, verse 2, when David is confronted with his, the major sin of his life, he says, wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And the problem with the word repent is in our day and age, we subscribe or we kind of tag that word with this religious kind of nature that's filled with emotion and, and maybe crying and wailing and gnashing of teeth. But the word repent literally means to turn around, to do a 180. That if you're walking that way in a thought in your mind or an attitude of your heart or an action of your life, that you repent because God shows you the, the, the error of your ways and you decide that I am no longer pursuing that, I'm turning around. You see, we make it too hard sometimes, church. We make it too difficult. We try to cover it with so many things. All God is asking you and me to do is to turn around from any ounce of prejudice that he may identify in our lives. 
This may be the most difficult of these messages. I realize it's a little bit in your face. And I'm okay with that. And here's why. God calls the nation of Israel to turn back to them and they will live. They didn't. And they ended up in captivity. And church, if we're going to be true followers of Jesus, if we're going to be on mission for him, if we're going to be people who are at Hilton Head Island Community Church who are saying our mission is to passionately share the message of Jesus and to lead people to follow him, then we're going to take an inward introspective look at our lives and ask for God to change us. And once he identifies it, repent from it and turn back to him. And he promises life. You see, I want this place one day when we get back to worshiping together to be filled with worshipers who are worshiping in spirit and in truth. Worshipers who God is pleased with our worship and not angry and disappointed in our worship because our lives don't reflect the praise that we're giving him. I want to be a church who, when the people of this community and the world see us in action in our community, God is honored. And God is pleased. And his name is made famous, not trashed, because of how we act. Church, it's time for us to have the scales of our eyes removed. And I want to give you, wherever you are right now, time just to talk to God, just to confess to him. Maybe begin the process of repenting from that little hint, that little ounce, or perhaps that medium-sized part of you, or perhaps that lifestyle and large part of you that bends towards injustice. Because we can be the leaders of seeing the rivers of justice flow once again in our culture, in our nation, and in our world. God, I pray for everyone who may be listening or watching right now. Father, I pray that you would do a work in our lives. And even right now, Holy Spirit, may you convict, may you challenge, may you change those who need to be changed. Father, I pray that you would continue to work on my heart. God, that we as a church would be a people who stand up against injustice. But the only way that you're going to solve this is the way that it spreads. It goes from us personally to a corporate or community or a culture. And then all of a sudden we find it in our systems. And Father, the way that you're going to solve this is by each one of us allowing you to enter our lives personally and search us personally and change us personally. Right now, if you're at home, I don't want you to do this. If you're driving, I don't want you to put yourself in harm's way. But if you're at home right now, just take a moment, just take a moment. And allow God's Holy Spirit to reveal in your life maybe some of the, the errors of your ways in this area. Father, I pray that you would just be with those who are listening right now. How that you would lead them and that you would guide them. 
God, may they be open to you leading and changing them. May they be changed. May we all be changed by the renewing of our minds. And God, may we repent. May we turn around from those ways of our past. And may we turn towards your ways. Father, help each one of us. Help us to lead in our culture in this area. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.